guys. Man, I, uh, I am so grateful for all that's going on around here, and I want to celebrate with you. And, uh, and yet, the, what's happened in the world this week requires me to start a different kind of way. And then also, I'm in a text this week that's super intense. So here's my commitment to you. Uh, it's going to be kind of intense. I'm going to bring you down, then I'm going to bring you up. And we're going to eat little mini ice cream and celebrate on the porch, okay? So let me start with this. As we, we come in, I've talked to several of you this morning in the last service. Um, there is a heaviness on the hearts of, of many of us because of what's happened in the world this week between uh, the people of the Gaza Strip and, and Israel. And so uh, I just feel like we need to begin in just a moment of silence. Let's pray, okay? So if you please bow your heads. And then just for a moment, uh, we please pray for peace, for justice, uh, pray for the, the victims and their families. And then I'll, cl- I'll close this. Jesus, you told us there would be wars and and rumors of wars until the very end. And you said these were birth pains. And so our our only real hope today is that you will one day return. And when you do, you will finish what you began. You will restore all things. And you will bring ultimate peace and justice. But we ask for some of that peace and justice right now. We ask that you... Bring a swift end to this war. Uh, the, the level of complexity is beyond our ability to understand. But you are a God who understands all things. And we ask, would you please bring peace? Please. And then, Father, we pray for the, the victims and their families. We, we pray for healing. And then we pray for your church. We pray for those who, who claim to be your disciples. We pray that they would be a, a great source of light in the midst of a very dark place in our world today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. Um, shifting gears. Let me, let me tell you what would be like a nightmare for me today. Halloween season, you got to have a nightmares, right? So uh, a nightmare for me would be, you know, I, I do this message and I, I try to bring as much value as I possibly can. And, you know, trying to celebrate all that's going on, our new building. You know, it looks so much nicer. It's bright. And I, although it's kind of ironic. You think if those of you who've been around for a while, we have these uh, black tarps. It looked like a Halloween store. And I kind of feel like we should just bring it back for like two more weeks until Halloween's over, but maybe not, maybe not. Anyway, so we go outside and we, you know, we're going to celebrate all this stuff. But before I even finish the message, like at the, the climax of the message, I'm just preaching my soul out to you. And I, I so want to urge you today, as you will see, to follow Jesus, to finish well. But you don't even wait until I finish speaking of finishing well. You just walk out like three-fourths of the way through the message. You're like, yeah, don't want that. And you just walk out and get your little man ice cream going, okay? That would be like a nightmare to me. And some of you, you like, well, I do that anyway. <laughs> some of you do do that, by the way. You, you leave before the message is over, especially when I'm speaking. So, and I, I know who you are. Um, but that's exactly what happened to Jesus. We're going to be in John chapter 6 today. And he was, he was preaching about spiritual hunger. The, the title of the message was, I'm the bread of life. And then like right at the climax of his message, people just walked away angry. Didn't even stop for the ice cream. They just kept going. And it says in John 6, 66, 666, that's plain ironic. Um, from this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. Jesus had a lot of disciples, not just the 12. He had hundreds, maybe thousands of disciples. And so they just 
They just turned away from him. And I want you to know today, we're, we're all in danger of doing this. Those of us who claim to be his disciples, followers of Jesus, we are all in danger of doing this. These people who walked away from Jesus, walked out on the message and said, no, don't think so. Don't want that. These were not bad people. These were not skeptics, atheists, Kansas City Chief fans, that kind of thing. These were, these were like followers, students, apprentices of Jesus. They were his rabbi. But on this day, they turned away and they, they never followed him again. If you're a follower of Jesus, if you're a disciple of Jesus, this could happen to you. This could happen to me. I, I had a man discipling me in college. His name was John Brooks. We used to call him Brooks with the looks. And uh, he, he used to say to me, because I was passionate, man. When I was a new believer, I was, I was on fire. I think I still am, but man, that new honeymoon thing was going on. I was sharing the gospel. I was eating the Bible, just reading it two or three hours a day, memorizing a verse a day. I was like, oh, so passionate. And, and he would look at me often and he would say, you need to finish well. You need to finish well. And he would tell me stories of people who he knew who also had been very passionate about Jesus, on fire for Jesus, and they hadn't finished what they began. Um, as my church today, my, my prayer for you is that you'll finish what you began. You'll finish well. You won't be like these disciples who turned away. I... I find myself doing more and more funerals, so I think about this a lot, this finishing well theme. Um, last night, I was at a wedding, super, super fun. Billy was like crushing it on the dance floor. So good, as you can imagine, right? Uh, I left at 8 o'clock. I don't do that anymore. But, but uh, if, if you see me in a suit or a tux like I was last night, you're either really happy or you're really sad. I'm either doing your wedding or I'm doing your funeral. And now that I'm getting older, I'm doing more and more funerals. And when I do a funeral, I almost always read Ecclesiastes 7.2 where it says, it's better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting for death is the destiny of everyone and the living should take this to heart. Let me give you the principle here. Um, those who live the best think the most about death. Those who live the best think the most about death. And, and similar fashion, those who finish well with Jesus think the most about finishing well with Jesus. I don't know where you are in your journey. It's, it's not too soon to start thinking about finishing well with Jesus. We, we've had 54 baptisms in this building so far this year. We've had, oh, why not? Come on. Oh, it's way better than that. In our movement in the city, 2,500 baptisms this year. Like, seriously. Oh, I'm not done yet. 4,000 in the U.S. and thousands more in India. I mean, we are a part of something that is huge, you guys. It's beautiful. It's a, it's a movement of God. This week, we had uh, actually one of Billy's friends got baptized Tuesday. I missed it. I was at soccer practice with my kids. But I heard it was a beautiful baptism. It's not too early for those of you who have been baptized even this week to begin to think about finishing well. So let me ask you, what are people going to say at your funeral? What are they going to say about your faith? Will they say that you finished well? Will they say that you, you grew in Christ-likeness all the way to the very end? Will, will, you, will you hear, because I think you might get to listen to what's going on in your funeral. I, I hope that, that works. That people will say, oh my gosh, this person was used by God to bless so many people 
and they, they made disciples, and those disciples are multiplying. Their life was just beautiful, beautiful, because they lived it all out for Jesus. Is that what they're going to say about you? Or are they going to nervously talk about it, or maybe not talk about it at all, because you didn't finish what you began? And they might not even be sure where you are. What are people going to say about you and your faith, your relationship with Jesus at your funeral? Can I be kind of selfish? I'm going to do some of your funerals. Make it easy for me to do your funeral. I know this message is about you, but I'm going to be selfish for just a moment. Make it easy for me. Or Jason or Billy, whoever does your funeral. We, we, we don't want it just to be a funeral. We truly want it to be a celebration of life. And we want to celebrate how you finished well with Jesus. How you went all in for the one who went all in for you. So today I want to, I want to share with you what I've been praying about all week. Uh, it's my goal that you'll finish well. I'm going to share with you some characteristics of those who finish well based on, on John chapter 6. So if you're new with us today, we're going through the Gospel of John one chapter at a time. Today we're in chapter 6. So if you're taking notes or you're in the app, three characteristics of people who finish well with Jesus. Number one, they let Jesus multiply what's in their lunchbox. So in John chapter 6, verses 1 through 15, there's this famous story of Jesus feeding 5,000 people. He'd been preaching for, for several hours, and they were in the middle of nowhere. It was during Passover season. He was out in the hills. Think like Fiddler's Green, but nothing around it. And no, no part burger, no food. Like people were getting kind of hangry. And, and then some were starting to go home because it was getting dark and they needed food to eat. And it, it says that Philip spoke up about this in John chapter 6, verse 5. He said, where shall we buy bread for these people to eat? And then uh, later he said in verse 7, it would take more than a half a year's wages, half a year of someone's salary to buy enough bread for each one of these people to have a bite. And then Andrew was there with Philip and he responded. He said, hey, verse 9, Here's a boy with five small barley loaves and two small fish, but how far will they go among so many? And Jesus is like, let's see. So what you got is you got this little boy with a lunchbox. He's got his lunchable inside of it. When it says five small barley loaves, think crackers, about four to five inches in diameter, little barley cracker. And when it says fish, think little sardines, which by the way are really good for you. And Jesus takes these little crackers and these sardines and he, he prays a prayer of thanksgiving over them and then he hands them to the disciples and they start multiplying and this crowd of 5,000 people, they all eat. And then about an hour later, Jesus sends the 12 back out to get the leftovers. Miracle. It's in all the gospels. And here's one of the primary points of the story. God loves to take what's in our lunchbox like he did with this little boy and use it to bless other people and to multiply it to make disciples. So we need to remember that, that Jesus was not in the, the restaurant business. He wasn't just about feeding people physically, although he did care about that and so should we. Um, his main goal that day was to teach people how to be disciples of himself and how to enter now into the kingdom of God and bring the kingdom of God to earth as it is in heaven, but then also to have e eternal life. So let me ask you, um, those of you who want to finish well, what's in your lunchbox? What, what has God placed in your lunchbox 
Not placing your wallet, that's the Capital One commercial. Your lunchbox that he wants to use to bless people, to feed people, and to multiply disciples. And we've all got a lunchbox, and inside that lunchbox, we've got our time, talent, money, relationships, connections, stories. We've got experiences, skill sets. We've got our physical bodies, our, our energy, our education, our job, our homes, extra rooms in our homes, and we've got spiritual gifts. If you're a follower of Jesus, it says in 1 Peter 4.10, you have at least one spiritual gift, a unique spiritually energized ability to bless people and to make disciples. And people who finish well, they take the lunchbox before Jesus and they say, it's all yours. Every last bit of it. I've got a friend who's in this service and uh, his name is Albert. I didn't ask his permission until like right before the service. Sorry, Albert. Uh, but I've gotten to know Albert over the last few months. He just moved to Denver about eight months ago. And as I know his story and I've watched it unfold, he's gone from success to significance, to surrender in his life. So he began to follow Jesus a few years ago, immersed himself in the scriptures. He was very successful in business. And so he did what a lot of successful people do. He started giving a lot of money away. Like he's given a lot of money away. And then he realized that there's more in his lunchbox that he was holding back and now he's giving that to Jesus. And so now he's, he's choosing to give most of his time to making disciples. He, he's living off an asset and he's devoting his time now to prayer, being the word, making disciples, and, and going out every day and trying to find people he can share Jesus with. He's a great example of a guy who's made this, these very important shifts from success to significance to complete and total surrender. Um, those who finish well, they give Jesus everything, everything that's in their lunchboxes. And, and those who don't finish well, they keep their lunchboxes for themselves. They never become givers. They, they never learn the truth of Jesus in Acts 20, 35, where he says, it's more blessed to give than to receive. And this week I've been thinking about friends of mine who haven't finished well, who have stopped following Jesus. And it occurred to me that none of them made the shift to fully surrendering their lunchboxes and giving everything to Jesus. And, and I realize people who, who never become givers, they're also not very good at being forgivers. Have you noticed this? That the people who are most generous with their resources and what's in the lunchboxes are also the most generous when it comes to grace. Like when you cross them or you fail them, they're quick to forgive. Givers become forgivers. So if I speak at your funeral, and I hope I don't have to, but if I do, I would love to be able to say, you, you gave to Jesus your lunchbox and everything that was in it. And I love to recall stories about how Jesus took your lunchbox and all that was in it, and he used it to bless people. He multiplied blessings in this world, and he multiplied disciples through you. I hope I get to say that. So let me ask you this morning, have you given Jesus your lunchbox? Is it his? Or are there things in your lunchbox you're kind of holding back for yourself and you haven't given them to him yet? Today, will you give him everything? Everything. Just like he gave everything for you. Those who finish well, 
give him everything. A second trait of people who finish well is they make sure Jesus is in their boat during the storms of life. So after the story of the feeding of the 5,000, uh, Jesus, he, he goes up on a mountainside to go on a retreat. Uh, he, he needed time alone with his father. The disciples, they want to recharge. They go fishing, okay? Jesus was in the mountains, would have loved Colorado. They go, no, we're going fishing, going fishing. And it says in John 6, 17 through 21, when they had rowed about three or four miles, they saw Jesus approaching the boat, walking on the water, like you do if you're Jesus. And they were frightened. But he said to them, it is I, don't be afraid. Then they were willing to take him into the boat, and immediately the boat reached the shore where they were, they were heading. So the disciples are fishing, and we have this story in the other Gospels, and so we can kind of color different nuances of the story as different, uh, you know, the Gospel writers were remembering it. And uh, the Sea of Galilee is by some mountains, and so the weather changes rapidly because cool air goes down into, you know, the valley there, and it changes the weather, and the squall kicks up, and they're like, They've been rowing for several hours and not making any progress. The wind and the waves are crashing over them and it's creating resistance. And they're starting to freak out. Like, are we going to make it or not? And then Jesus wants to catch up with them. So he just takes a shortcut and he just walks across the water because he's Jesus and, and he can do that. And uh, then as soon as he gets in the boat and they had to invite him into the boat, the storm calms down. He calms it down. And it says they immediately reached their def destination. Apparently having Jesus in your boat is like having a twin turbo engine. Just you're there. Um, life can be really scary sometimes. Some of you right now, you're in a storm. And there are storms and squalls brewing all around us. It's important for us to ask ourselves, is Jesus in the boat with me or not? Is he in your boat right now? Because when you go through a storm, you want Jesus in your boat. People who finish well, they always make sure Jesus is in the boat. I went through a storm in 1993. I had planted two churches in San Francisco. I got a degree, a master's degree in theology. Came out here because my marriage was really troubled. And so I decided to get a second master's degree in counseling. Because that's what you do when you have marriage problems, okay? So I spent several thousand dollars doing what I could have done with just, you know, a few therapy sessions. But I was trying to figure out, like, my marriage. And, and that year, things got even worse. And my now ex-wife had two affairs that year. And I was a raging codependent. People would go, why do you stay in that crazy broken marriage? I go, codependent, bro. I, I just kept trying to fix me, kept blaming myself for it, kept trying to fix us, kept trying to fix her. Couldn't fix it. And uh, we were broke because we were in school. And then we went to a movie one night at a, at a dollar theater in Lakewood. And uh, it was a uh, Claude Van Damme film. And my, my ex had this habit of comparing me to other people. <laughs> and I could tell during the movie, I go, uh-oh, I'm being compared to Claude Van Damme. I mean, how, how, how fair is that, right? How do you stack up with a guy? So I get in the car, and I didn't even have to ask the question. I could tell what was going on inside her heart. And I was raging, raging. So I was trying not to escalate her. I didn't say anything. I just could feel it coming up. And I go, I better just go for a walk. So I dropped her off and took myself and my dog. I had a 120-pound Doberman Pinscher for a walk. And there's a, there's a pond in Morrison. We lived out in Morrison. And I started walking around this pond. And uh, I grew up in a family where if I spoke against my father, I would 
likely lose my teeth. <laughs> he was a big man and uh, fighter, and I never raised my voice to him. I never said anything disrespectful because I feared him. And many of you know this. We, we tend to take our understanding of God, our Heavenly Father from our earthly father. I did that. I go, I will never say bad to God, nothing disrespectful. But that night, I just lost my stuff. And I started yelling and screaming, and I was saying things I couldn't believe I was saying to God. I, I was so crazy that I was taking rocks off the ground and chucking them at, in the air, thinking it was going to hit God. I mean, you know, yeah, it was, I lost my mind. My 120-pound Dilbert Pinscher, 25 yards behind me, shaking, going, what happened to him? And uh, this went on for over an hour. In fact, at one point, there was an apartment complex about 400 plus yards away. And one in the morning, one thirty in the morning, this person yelled, hey, shut up. I'm trying to pray. No, I'm trying to sleep. I said, no, you shut up. I'm trying to pray. Okay. That's how nuts I was. And then I, I got in my, my truck and I drove home and I thought, what have I just done? And for three days, I did not pray. And I thought, I think, I think I might have just ended it between me and God. And at that point in time, I wasn't clear on what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, but I thought, pretty sure I just did that. And I didn't know if I wanted to come back to God and didn't know if he would take me back. So for three days, no prayer. And then on the third day, because our Heavenly Father loves to raise things from the dead on the third day. Yeah. I, I went for a walk in this golf course, and somewhere around the sixth hole, I wasn't praying. I wasn't trying to be spiritual. I just had a vision, like, come into my mind. And in this vision, Jesus is like 10 feet tall. I'm a grown man, but I'm acting like a little kid. And he's got this, you know, tunic thing on. And I'm just, like, punching him for all I'm worth. And I'm punching like a man, but then I start punching him like a kid. You know how kids be like this? And I start just, I just, I'm just punching his chest. I'm pounding on his chest. And then in the vision, I start, I just start to weep in the vision. I'm still walking. But in the vision, I'm weeping. And then it begins to hit me. And, and I bent over, and I just, I was heaving. And there was so much snot coming out of my nose the grass on that green still has not recovered. Okay, burn it up. <laughs> and then I, I got up, I tried to get myself together, started walking again, and I asked the Lord, what did that mean? And a couple of things came to mind. One is, I feel like the Lord was saying to me, I can handle whatever you throw at me. I can handle your emotions, your strongest emotions. I'd really be hot or cold. Just don't be lukewarm. And I, I felt him just embracing me, like putting his arms around me as I was crying, just pulling me in. And the second thing I realized is when I'm in a storm, what I need more than anything else is I need Jesus in the boat with me. And I've been through a bunch more storms since then. And by God's grace, I've kept Jesus in the boat and he's never failed me. And he's got me through every single storm. So let me ask you, is Jesus in your boat right now? Whether you're going through a storm or not, is he in the boat? Because if you're in a storm or getting ready to go into one, you're going to need him. And people who finish well, they always keep Jesus in the boat 
But those who don't, they kick him out of the boat just when they need him the most, and then they blame him for the storm. I've seen this over and over again. People either walk with more intensity with Jesus when they're going through a storm than they ever have before, or they walk away. And I've seen friend after friend in the midst of a storm walk away from their Savior. Is he in the boat with you? Because you need him in the boat. Third characteristic of, of those who finish well with Jesus is they never stop celebrating their salvation. They, they can never get over the fact that Jesus did what he did for them. It says in John 6, 53, Jesus declared, I'm the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. And Jesus said to them, very truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Welcome, my friends, to the carnivore diet. So no wonder these people walked away. They're like, what is he saying? Is he talking about cannibalism? Like, this is weird. And it's taken me a long time to wrap my mind around this, this passage. Super controversial. This, like, this was like the final straw. Like, all right, I'm out. Eat flesh, drink blood, I'm out of here. So what exactly was Jesus talking about? I, I believe after a lot of meditation and reading a lot of scholars that he's, he's using a very dramatic metaphor that of eating his body, drinking his blood to talk about how he brought salvation into the world through his broken body and his shed blood. That is our only hope. That is our salvation. That's what it took for us to be able to receive God's forgiveness, the broken body and the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so this is a metaphor he, he gave his audience that day for trusting in him, internalizing what he was about to do for them on the cross, metabolizing it, like bringing it into them until it transforms their very lives. And every time we, we take the Lord's Supper, which we will here in a few minutes, we're remembering how Jesus wants us to trust him completely to be our savior. He is our only hope, our only hope. People who finish well, they, they never stop celebrating their salvation. They, they never stop being grateful. They, they just, they cannot get over the fact that Jesus did for them what he did for them. What, what an act of love for the living God to become a human being and die for us on the cross for our salvation. I hope as a church we never get over this, ever. So Jesus told parables about just how amazing it is, <laughs> the receiving of, of the good news of Jesus Christ. He, he says it's like a, a man who is a pearl merchant, and he, he finds this incredible pearl that's worth everything, and he sells everything he's got to buy this pearl. He said in another parable, it's like, a man who finds treasure in a field and he sells everything to buy the field so he can have the treasure. It's like a woman who loses a coin that represents everything she has and she turns her house upside down until she finds it. Then she brings all of her friends over to celebrate the fact that she's found her lost coin. It's like a father whose son says, I wish you were dead, but because you're not, can I just have my inheritance early? And then he, he walks away and squanders it. And his dad prays on the front porch every single day, prays for his son to come home. And then one day off in the distance, he sees his son and he runs out to his son. And he, he kills this lamb and he throws this huge party celebrating the fact that his lost 
son had been found. We should never stop celebrating our salvation. And those who finish well, they never, they never do this and they never lose their joy of their salvation. But those who don't finish well, they slowly stop being grateful. They stop thinking about it. They stop treasuring it. They stop worshiping God for it. They lose the joy of their salvation and then often they lose their very faith. So let me ask you this morning, have you lost the joy of your salvation? Are you still celebrating what God has done for you in Jesus Christ? Those who finish well, they never stop celebrating. Um, Because this message has not been intense enough, I want to end by talking about my dad's funeral. (laughs) So here's my dad's salvation story. Um, we We did not grow up going to church and he was a very independent man. And uh, I think I heard him talk about God like maybe once or twice. I did hear God's name being used a lot, but in vain. Usually in the garage. And, and then I came to faith. And he was fine with me becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ until I told him that I was going to go into professional ministry. And he was not happy with that. He, he did not groom me to do this. He groomed me to be a businessman. And so we, we became very, very distant. And I kept praying for my dad. 20 years, I prayed for my dad, almost daily. And then uh, I had the opportunity to go to a retreat with some, some very successful businessmen who, who love Jesus. And I thought, this is my chance. And so I invited my dad, had all kinds of people praying for him. And so the whole week, he was hearing people share stories about uh, how God had changed their lives. And then uh, one night, my dad came at me in a very blunt fashion like he always did. He said, all right, tell me. What's it mean to be a Christian? How do I become one? So I got to share the gospel with him that night. And then uh, I saw him come to faith. And then for the next 20 years, I I watched God transform him before my very eyes. It was unbelievable. The changes I saw him go through for 20 years. Um, He he gave God his lunchbox. He gave it to Jesus. Like my dad was, he never gave to anything. I mean, Girl Scouts would come to the door. He's like, go find your own money. Go Go get a job at the gas station. Like, he, he wouldn't even buy Girl Scout cookies, okay? That's just how stingy he was. And then I watched him become incredibly generous. He, he helped finance the start of this church. We're here in part because of my father. There's a building downtown that he helped purchase. I watched him raise money for hospitals. He was incredibly talented with his hands. He was a great mechanic. He was always fixing cars and RVs and helping people with their homes. He, he gave Jesus his lunchbox. So cool to watch. Um, he kept Jesus in his boat. I watched him go through health crisis after health crisis, a couple of financial crises, and he kept Jesus close. And like me, he could never get over the fact that Jesus had forgiven him for his sin. Um, I, I don't have the best resume when it comes to being good. My dad's resume is a lot worse. At least that part of it is. And he could not get over the fact that Jesus had forgiven him for everything. I was in Cabo uh, fishing with him one time. And, you know, you get up early to go fishing. And one morning I, I woke up and, and there was this tile floor and he was on the, this floor. And he's like late 70s at this time. And I see him with his hands in front of him and his lips are moving. And he's just worshiping Jesus. And I'm laying in bed. He doesn't know I'm watching him. I'm just looking at him. I'm going, that's my dad. That's my dad. How did that happen? 
Jesus completely transformed this man's life before my very eyes. I watched an angry, violent, driven man become sweet and kind and generous and loving. And then uh, he began to get really sick. And I used to go back and forth to see him. And uh, my sisters called me one day and said, hey, he's not going to make it much longer. You better get a ticket. And so I had a, a 6 o'clock flight next morning. And then that night, I got woke up at 11 o'clock. My sisters called me and said, hey, he's not going to make it to the night. And so uh, I got on the phone. He was pretty, you know, incapable of communicating, morphine and dementia. I just said to him, Dad, can you hang on until I get there? And I could tell he was saying no. And I said, okay. I said, Dad, I, I want you to know how proud I am of you. I'm so proud of you. I wouldn't be half the man I am if it wasn't for you. I said, Dad, I love you. And I'm so proud of what you've become. And then I said, Dad, if I don't see you tomorrow, I'll see you on the other side. My dad spent most of his life building airplanes, 747 jets, B-1 bombers. He was a director of operations. He was a general manager at Rockwell with the B-1 bomber contract. And, uh, man, there's nothing a pilot likes more than a blue sky. So the last thing I said to my father was, hey, Dad, blue skies ahead. Blue skies ahead. And he mumbled something and I hung up. And those were my last words to him in this age. Well, uh, a couple weeks later, I did his funeral. And uh, I didn't cry. I, uh, I think I already cried a lot, but it really was a celebration of life. And uh, I found myself laughing. And I, I know I've been kind of intense today, but on that day, I was like a stand-up comic. <laughs> I, I just was, we were bantering. We were, I was so happy because I knew where he was. And I, I, I knew how he finished. And you know what I didn't talk about that day? I didn't talk about his resume, which was very impressive. And I didn't talk about his bucket list, which was very impressive. All I talked about is what Jesus had done in this man's life and how he finished well. He finished what he began. And so my restoration family, I, I beg you, I've been praying for you this week. I beg you, I beg you to work harder on your eulogy than your resume and your bucket list. I, I beg you, make it, Make it easy for me or whoever to do your funeral. Finish well. Finish well what you've begun. Amen? All right, let's pray. I want to ask those of you who are, are disciples of Jesus to just take a few moments now and 
evaluate the state of your relationship with Jesus? Are you finishing what you began? Have you given Jesus your lunchbox like that little boy did? Or are you holding something back? Is he in the boat with you right now? Or did you kick him out during a storm in the past? And then finally, are you celebrating your salvation today? Is it your greatest treasure? Or have you lost the joy of your salvation? Evaluate your relationship and then repent where you need to repent and ask Jesus through his power, the power of his Holy Spirit to help you finish well. While those of you who are disciples of Jesus are are praying, I want to speak to those of you who will not finish well because you haven't even begun yet. You're like, I'm not even sure I know how to begin. In in John chapter 6, Jesus says, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he sent. If in your heart today, you believe that Jesus Christ Let his flesh be broken, his blood shed to forgive you for your sins and reconcile you to God and give you the hope of eternal life. If you receive him today and trust him as your savior, he will save you. And then the only thing you can do in response is give your life back to him. He gave everything for you. Give everything to him. Surrender your life to him. And then get baptized as soon as possible. When you get baptized, you're saying you've died to your old way of life and you've been raised to a new life in Christ. If you'd like to talk to somebody about that, we'll have a prayer team up here in a few minutes where you can go to the connection table. We'd love to help you take that step. Father, help us finish well. Help us finish what we have begun. We so desperately need your help. Help us be the kind of people that give you our lunchboxes and let you multiply your blessings through us in this world and make disciples who make disciples for generations to come. Help us be the kind of people that lean into you and invite you into the boat in the midst of our storms. Help us be the kind of disciples who just can never get over what you've done for us. You've given us everything you possibly could through your son, Jesus Christ. And right now, as we come to the table and we worship you, And celebrate you, Jesus Christ. Will you please inhabit the praises of your people and fill this room with your presence. It's in your name we pray.